Hello, my fellow patriots. It's Rob JH1 coming to you live on a Thursday, February 25th. I hope all of you are nice and warm inside your homes or the bars, or are you in bars? Can we go to bars now? I don't know, with everything being on shutdown, but it seems as if though they are opening up. I hope so, because I know that I'm getting tired of being inside. That being said, uh, <clears throat> tonight's show promised to be a lot of fun laughs, good times. So join us, share the feed with your friends and tell them to share with their friends. We're going to have a lot of fun. And I want to kick the show off with something that I was just called to my attention. Uh, one of my favorite characters as a kid. Here we go. Mr. Potato Head. Now, I don't know about you, but I was never inclined as a kid, and I was a rather precocious kid, to ponder, or to wonder, or to try to figure out what sex Mr. Potato Head was. I just assumed he was a potato and a toy. But for some reason now, Hasbro has decided to come out and say that it's gender neutral. No sex, he's just there. I didn't know potatoes had sex. And when I say sex, I mean not sex like sex, sex, sex but sex is in gender sex, but it doesn't matter. I wasn't taking it that far, but for some reason now, in this world of political correctness, everything has to be identified. And lo and behold, Mr. Potato Head, I don't know if he was a male or female, but he did have that Mr. in front of him, so I guess we would assume he was a male. He's genderless now. No sex for you, Mr. Potato Head, thanks to the politically correct police. Poor guy, what can I say? Well, we're gonna talk about that in some other topics. Joining me, my host at Small Town Andrew. How's it going, Andrew? It's going well, Rob. And our special guest, Michael Loftus. Gentlemen. Loftus party. How's it going? And of course, Michael Johns, co-founder of the Tea Party. How is it going, gentlemen? What's up, guys? Going How well. are you? So, guys, help me out here. Did you guys know that Mr. Potato had a gender? Did you when guys I even play with Mr. Potato? I, mean, I had one of these things growing up, and uh, uh, you could take like the legs and put them in like as their ears, and you know, basically completely discombobulate the function of these things of them. But I don't ever remember pondering the uh, gender <laughs> orientation. But, but the Mister before Potato Head was su somewhat suggestive of right. possibly a male orientation. Right. I mean, no, I would get my sister's Barbie dolls and I would look at them and say, hmm, this is interesting. Looks different than my toys, but that's as far as it went. <laughs> okay. But this whole thing with Mr. Potato and the Potato families, and they're now genderless. Like, what's happening in society? <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> it's like if there was ever an automatic, like, gender fluid toy. It was already Mr. Potato Head because you take her lips and put them on his. It's just like, like what, why do they want to shine a light on this? And and it's it, and it's odd. Like if you don't want to start thinking about this, right? Like in uh -huh. my mind, it's always Mr. Potato Head. Don Rickles does the voice. What do you want? A cookie? That's Mr. Potato Head. I don't. I don't. I don't want to make it even more. I don't want to think about it because then you start thinking about it. You're like, well, he takes his eyes and he shoves them in his butt. Like right. what is going on? Oh, let's, my. Not, let's, let's keep reality away from children's toys. Yeah, I would think so. What do you say, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most ridiculous examples of cancel culture we've seen yet. Uh, we thought it was bad with the syrup and um, everything else that we've seen in the past few months, but this one is a uh, new level. Right. Now, Anja Mommy's pancake is now called, the Mills company. I mean, now she's without a job. Now she's standing in the unemployment line <laughs> looking to see if someone will allow her to bake or make pancakes. It's like, Aunt Jamama, are you serious? Have Have you seen the new label that they have? No, I haven't, I haven't seen Yes, that. the new label. They've taken away Aunt Jemima and now it's just like a picture of an old timey factory that looks like no one works there. It looks like it's so like the Democrats were here. It's like there used to be a person who had a job and now it's just an empty factory. 
That's total stomp. It might as well be Baltimore. And, and I thought, <laughs> I think it bothers me. I thought, we were, I thought we were trying to. There is a Michael. committee of actors. There is a committee of, of people sitting around literally going through, you know, every one of these consumer products, pondering what sort of political agenda they might be able to extract from it. I mean, these are not by any means natural sort of, you know, emerging revelations or concerns by anybody outside of America. And I just want to remind, I mean, if in case it's all bringing you down, because it is all negative, it, and it's, and I think it's, it's bad messaging, uh, negative for society. And in some ways, you know, this culture, up, you know, uh, politics upstream from uh, uh, culture, I believe that. But let's not forget, this, is, this was the undoing of this party the last time. You know, once, once they started forgetting about working men and women and wages and job creation and, you know, the, the fundamental issues, the bread and butter issues that were confronting this country and started talking about all of these sort of extraneous things that were driven by the far left and had no real immediate consequence for even a forget a vast majority of Americans, for a small number of Americans, it proved the political undoing of the entire Party and the people see through it. I, I, I have no, I've never seen a president in our lifetime who I think literally, and I tweeted this the other day, has a downside that, you know, could be lower than anyone we've seen in modern political times. I mean, I, I, I don't think Biden's stable numbers are much above 30, 35%, you know, and uh, if, if when trouble hits, I think this guy can fall low. Does he even know that he's president? I mean, they're now talking about Trump, and which is, you know, let me just tell you, having worked, you know, in the White House, everything, there's no accidents. Everything's by design. Everything has been run by people from 15, 20 different perspectives, particularly from the standpoint of how people are going to be impressed or, you know, impacted by it. And the fact that we're not seeing much from him and we're never seeing him speak extreme, uh, um, you know, kind of off the top of his head or, um, uh, off, you know, ad-libbing anything, you know, like Trump did almost daily on the South Lawn and elsewhere, is suggestive of the fact that he's not trusted by this inner circle to do much of anything. The question really is who's running the place, because I don't think it is Biden, and I don't think it's Harris either. Um, so, and I'm not, and I'm, and I'm pretty confident it's not the most obvious uh, chief of staff, et cetera. So, I mean, this is kind of an intriguing castle, castle question, you know, of, of intrigue of, of who is, who are the little, who, you remember that big time magazine cover, the, the brains of George Bush with Carl Rove on the cover, which I thought, oh, yeah. yeah, it was kind of very um, derogatory to Bush 43, but I think the question is, you know, who who are the brains of Biden? Because somebody's driving this agenda. They're coming up with some pretty wacky ideas pretty quickly. Yeah, real quickly. It's like almost like who's on first? They don't want him to have the nuclear code because they're afraid that he might, you know, all at once in a dream and oh my God, we've got to use a nuclear code. We've got to blow up Iran. We've got to blow up Iraq. You know, this guy's definitely uh, not a person that we want with the nuclear codes. But that all being said, one of the questions that I have for you, Michael Loftus, just from watching your show, <clears throat> why can't we have fun anymore? Why is everyone so afraid to make fun of the left? Now they'll make fun of the right all day long. Look at Saturday Night Live. But why are people so afraid? It's just to have a joke, to joke about anything. What well, has happened to our humor? Well, you've got a lot of, you got a lot of performers who are afraid. Because uh -huh. they 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 don't know how to deal with the situation when <laughs> the solution is to just keep going, just go right through them. Do not uh -huh. alter your sensibilities at all. Do not give them an inch. Do not give them an. It's it's the the, the cancel culture. They're they're like dogs, and if you show a little bit of fear, that's when they come in and they start biting. But like. I haven't changed. I just did a one-hour special for Fox Nation, and it's it's doing ga gangbusters for them. I'm just mm -hmm. I'm just gonna keep swatting away. Bill Burr's still doing great. Uh, he's not a very PC guy. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, who else is who is out there doing well. Anthony Cumia. 
Yeah, yeah, he's doing well, and, but but that's there's no secret sauce to it. It, it. You just have to have a have a pair and just man up and do not change. And it's crazy. It's crazy. They are just like dogs. It's like this. The second you start apologizing for something, they 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 come at you, and then you're then you're gone. Never never apologize. It's like you have to apologize for being a man. Yeah. Apologize for being a caller. We've established that, and Trump has uh, definitely uh, proven that. It's sad. Mm -hmm. because, you know, uh, what is an apology? It should be some recipe of acknowledgement of, hey, sorry, I didn't you know, mean to do A, B, or C if that was uh, the consequence of it. And there's many times when you've seen people um, mistakenly say things that are then labeled offensive, which, by the way, is a very strong word. I don't I mean, it takes a lot to be offended really by words. Because there's so, many, there's so many harsher things in this <laughs> Yeah. That this life puts us through a lot of tough things. <laughs> words, I mean, and that's my perspective. And I, I and yet I've dealt with words and I've, you know, and I, I can tell you, I mean, there's a lot of focus on the left about their use. And you can just see how they understand the, the, the consequence of language, the consequence of acronyms, the consequence of how things are described. But that's mm -hmm. where but that's because they understand the political impact that these things have and how you can present, you know, some really crazy ideas under the right verbiage, which they become fairly expert at. And they're scaring everyone with it. I mean, look at Coca-Cola and their sensitivity training and telling whites, oh, try to behave less white. We don't want you to be that white. Just, you know, a little tone, tone it down just a little bit. What does it mean? <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? It makes it makes absolutely no sense. You can't be white. Okay, if I go out and get a tan, is that does that help? I don't get it. <laughs> and how do you guys, as white men, how do you feel? I mean, can you imagine if Coke were to say, "We're going to have a class and tell black people, don't try to behave less black. Try not to say so many yos and bros." Right. And, oh, it's like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's how you know. That's how you know how racist anything is. Take out, take out white and replace it with anything else, and it sounds horrible. Try to be, try to be less Jewish. Try to, try to you know, try to be less Indian. It, it's, it's just horrible and insulting. And and uh, the idea that the common denominators to the categories of people by gender, ethnicity, religion is the ultimate and in, in discriminatory practicing and verbiages. I mean, to be less white is that? I mean, that means monolithic. I mean, you know, how much diversity there is within? I mean, it's like ridiculous. I don't. I don't know how to be. I don't know how to be less white, but I do know how to drink more Pepsi. <laughs> Well, you better learn how to be less white because they're going to come after you and they're going to counsel you with the, with the politically correct police. I mean, first it was men. You know, you're too toxic. You can't, you're too much of a man. You've got to, you know, tone it down. How do you tone it down? What do you want from me? It's like, I don't. Are you mad because I stand up when I get ready to take a piss? I should sit down. I mean, what do you want? Like, you're too toxic. And now it's try to be less white. You know, when you go out there, you know, I don't know how you can do it, but try to do it. It's insane. And here's the fact, go ahead. Here's the scary thing to me. This is where this like, it's like we have a, a bunch of generations who are living in this very, very naive bubble. Oh, you referred to me with the wrong pronoun. Now my feelings are hurt. Oh, Your yeah. masculinity is toxic. I'm having, I'm having it. That's a microaggression. What are these people going to do? When the shit hits the fan, and all of a sudden the Chinese are coming over the hill with legit super soldiers, well, like, they have you, have they're you, not playing this. They're not playing these games. Ask, you know, I, I um, spent the first part of my career working on Africa policy, and I, you know, continue to maintain contact with a lot of people on that continent. Those who've been to China describe it as one of the most racist societies and cultures that they've ever been in. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, like there literally are like no. Africans permitted uh, signs on various yep. building structures. And there's an incredible degree of just instinctual bias in the Communist Party uh, as it relates to ethnicity. 
I really don't. I don't know. I, I think um, it's such a. I, it's one of these topics. Like as soon as it comes up, the it, it's uh, a lot of people just become uncomfortable. Uh, and I feel like we've been on defense with it for a whole long time. And you know, at some point, you just kind of say, "Look, man. I mean, we're all human beings, and we, you know, decent people respect every human being, regardless of those things." And I don't even think in those terms, really. Uh, I think the left does think in those terms because it's part of their political design. This idea of categorizing voters and being able to depict one side against another, and uh, yeah, that kind of was the foundation of Marx's. Uh, communist manifesto about how to develop re uh, a revolution is the first thing you've got to create tension and you create and he saw the tension between this sort of entrepreneur class and the working class um, and I think over the decades that whole design has evolved to the point where this has become a centerpiece of their approach now the question becomes for us do we counter as we have? I mean, like, does like the Republican National Committee has an African American outreach sort of department or a Hispanic American outreach department, Jewish American outreach, but women's groups? Do we, I, I mean, it isn't it, is it not true that the fundamental positions affecting this country are essentially the same? We want to see growth, prosperity, security, safety, America held in respect around the world. I mean, the, are these not common unifying themes that ultimately uh, transcend all of this? Or is it, or are we in a point where in fact, uh, has, by the way, when I talk to my uh, two Hispanic friends of mine, this idea that there's some unifying theme behind a Hispanic community is deemed absurd to them. Cuban Americans don't feel any real natural affinity to any more natural affinity to say Puerto Ricans than they would to Caucasians or, Venezuelans. I mean, this idea that they're sort of monolithically categorized is deemed absurd. Unless you're Joe Biden. Joe Biden can distinctly tell you if you've got a hard time deciding if you're going to vote for me or Trump, you ain't black. Joe Biden. Yeah, well, you know, I looked at myself when I, when I went to vote. I said, oh, wow, you're not black because you're not voting for Joe Biden. I don't know what color I am. I'm like, but it looked black, but it's like, oh, well, I'm brown. I can see that I'm brown. But he told me, hey, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. And he gets away with it. I mean, I even wonder if he knows what color he is. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs> like, like Trump would just say, Trump would say, you know what? We need to stand up for America. And everybody's like, oh, that's a dog whistle. That is mm -hmm. a racist oh, dog yeah. whistle. And then and then Joe, Joe Biden will be like, black and brown people can't work the internet. <laughs> no one has a problem with it. Or, or, or they, all th they all think alike. You know, black people, right. they all think alike. <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, did he just say that? And people, oh, no, nothing to see here. Or when he came out and said, well, you, you go to any 7-Eleven and you're greeted with Indians. Like, uh, did Joe just say that? Like, oh, yes. Like, he's just, he's just, he's got a six, he's got a six gun racist shooter just going off every afternoon. And like, they don't call him on any of it. And Trump can be like, wow, the sky's blue today. And they're like, was that dog whistle. That's a dog whistle. <laughs> He's talking to the Smurfs. Make uh, yeah. America blue again. Oh my gosh, make us blue again. Uh, <laughs> trying to get into Rikers Island to meet Mandela or whatever. Wasn't oh, that oh yeah, we yeah. forgot about that. How can we forget about that? That he was right there at the cusp of it. I mean, but these guys, the, it's to to hear what they say, and no one calls them out. The other day, he was on some Zoom call. He was questioning. <laughs> We are timid. We have a timid movement and a timid party, and we're here to correct it. That's part of our little conversation. Right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you saw him questioning a nurse, asking, uh, how old are you? Are you are you a nurse? You look like a freshman. I'm thinking, where is he going with this? <laughs> and you have Kamala. He's like 30 years old and had been working right. like, you know, eight or 10 years or something. And I'm like, where is this guy going with this? But he gets a pass on it. Now, I want to pivot just a little bit, you know, going back to the theme of having fun and talking and joking. Nancy Pelosi. Now, I mean, what can I say? There, she's, she gives us a lot of laughs, a lot of gaffes, but we could take that and we can run with it. But comedians will not touch her. It's like they're afraid to make fun of Nancy Pelosi, Maxine oh, Waters. You realize I'm on the show, right? <laughs> yeah. You realize I'm right here. No, no, are you there? 
go you uh, most comedians won't it's crazy saturday night live's not it's like ronald reagan would say this about republicans it's like the 11th commandment you don't make fun of your fellow the republican and the democrats have an equal and opposite law comedians on the left will not go over will, will not go after nancy because that's all you you see represented on tv but that that woman has been my bread and butter on my youtube <laughs> channel the loftus party dude i did a video nancy pelosi because the thing with nancy pelosi i do an impression of her she's got the bilateral speech and she just she'll just say whatever's popping into her mind you have to read the bill to find out what's in it and then throw in uh throw in defending the constitution and america and then we have to defend the constitution and america what she's about the erection the erection on the capitol Oh yeah, that, there there was an uh, there was an erection on the Capitol. There's a Capitol erection. These people, they're animals, and they just had huge. I think they were sponsored by Cialis. <laughs> Ron Johnson's name wrong was that? Oh yeah, she called him Don Johnson. She Don Johnson. Her, <laughs> from Miami Vice. Okay, yeah. and then not only that, you had Chuck Schumer. <laughs> on the house floor talking about the president having it causing an erection. <laughs> yeah. And no one, no one wanted to touch it. I mean, you had MSNBC, <laughs> no one wanted to touch it. <laughs> probably, had, not, probably not. <laughs> well, 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 as the president said, you know, he has big, well, don't let the hands fool you, you know, so hey. <laughs> but you had CNN, MSNBC, and all these other news agencies you know, going in and cutting that out, editing that out when he said, well, the president calls an erection, they went in and they literally, I'm like, why not have fun with it? <laughs> why not say, did he just say that? But it's like, oh no, just, we can't. This, this, this is, uh, the left, the left dominates the media, the dominate the news, and they realize the propaganda is working. Between the between the the, the propaganda yeah. of of the the natural culture and they set the tone and what's going on in the schools that it's I I think this little warfare that they started back in the seventies and eighties it's 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 paying off in huge dividends mm -hmm. they're never going to make fun of their own they will yeah. never make fun of their own because they're trying hard and they just want to make America a better place. And sure, sometimes they misspeak, but they really care deeply about us. Not like those animal Nazi Republicans. That's really, <laughs> did you see that poll that came out today? The number one issue, the number one issue for Democrats, it's not the economy, it's not COVID. The number one issue, their biggest concern is Trump voters and Republicans. They think that's the biggest problem with the country. I don't, so that's they, scary. I don't think they believe that. I mean, I think you know this party itself on a leadership level is out of touch with its base. I mean, they're not they're not addressing the issues that are coming. And you just look at the this agenda that that uh, Biden's gone through here in uh, you know a month. I mean, it's it's a whole bunch of issues that are, are that the country is either uh, ambivalent about or is actually antithetical about. And by the way, you know, job wise, uh, over seven hundred thousand jobs lost last week. You right. know, because we got. We got closed schools, open borders, you know, a president who's now allowing China to invest in our electric grid, who's unbelievable. You know, I mean, you literally go through this and I and I ask myself if I'm seeing it from too highly a partisan lens, because I I'll try to be fair to him, but I, it's like literally like step by step how to undermine and do damage to this country and its people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's like if you were going to do that, it, it, it's like he's hitting every button. Now this right. Iran, you're not, I mean, it's just, it, it's really, um, a de it, it is, I think we'll, I think we're at the point where we got to stop complaining about it, but we do need to understand it. Mm -hmm. Like, so, so back to Mr. Potato Head, like somebody actually brought that up and said, hey, here's an opportunity. And that wasn't some. And that's you know, scary. Some politically minded person in, in uh -huh. the of Soros or someone, you know, charged with this functional role, and it, be, well, and, you know, it makes this whole profession a lot more difficult because now all of a sudden you got to be like overly 
concerned and conscious about how people looking to bring you down are going to perceive everything you do at a point where we're simultaneously, but not seriously, talking about trying to unify, not just the, to unify this country, we have to unify the political community too. Meaning, you know, we have to have a, a mutual respect for each other. That's impossible to do when the other side is trying to tear you down, mm -hmm. cancel you, right. whatever. Yeah, we what, just seen more, um, oops, more division um, the other day from former President Barack Obama. I don't know if you guys seen this, but he actually told a story where he said when he was in college, someone called him a racial slur and he punched him and broke their nose. Find it interesting that this story is just now coming out now, and it's hard to believe that Obama beat up anybody. But did you guys see that? Yeah, I, I saw where uh, where Obama and every, whenever time he talks about like physical his physical prowess, I just go uh, back to him. Like, one of those pictures where he was like working out. He, he was like using yeah. two and a half pound weights. Yeah, so, yeah I I I I, I kind of doubt it, I doubt it too. I don't know who whose nose he broke. Would that person please step forward? I would. I, I, I would really thing. like to meet that person. I, I want to meet the person also. In the, uh, the the is it on Spotify where he's doing the uh, the series of podcasts with Springsteen? Because yeah. nobody having grown up like as a Springsteen fan, like I always sort of understood why he didn't identify as a Republican. But then along comes Trump, and I think for sure, like this is a sort of you know Republican that a guy like Springsteen would embrace, saying all the things that he was saying like all the way back to the Born in the USA tour, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, about the plight of the working man and the effect it had, not just on that person, but on the people around them. And, uh, you know, those are, uh, it always seems sincere. And I think it's really turned out to be complete, completely insincere. I mean, this mm -hmm. guy is sitting there with this globalist. Now he's all about all this other thing, all this other stuff. It's, you know, kind of the uh, Hollywood elitist agenda, basically. Yeah, I mean, I find it interesting also that all this time, Barack Obama never shared the story, didn't put it in either of the three books that he's written, but now he's coming out and saying, you know, hey, this is what I did. Yeah, and it makes me, it just goes back to, you know, Biden, someone just put in the chat room as far as Biden, when he gives the State of the Union address, is he too going to talk about corn pop and what he did to corn pop, you know, when he was a young kid and he told corn pop, hey, corn pop, come over here and do this. I mean, they make this stuff up. And again, no one wants to touch it and make fun of them. There is so much material. If I were a comedian, I would talk about it every night. There you go right there. But it's like they're afraid to make fun of them. Even Nancy Pelosi, remember when there was a meme going around about her being drunk. She protested and said, hey, take that down. She got mad at Facebook because Facebook, no, Facebook took it down, but Twitter wouldn't take it down. I'm like, is she that sensitive? Is she actually looking at this stuff? And she's yeah. thinking, oh, you know, they think that I'm a drunk. Maybe she is a drunk. I don't know. Well, That's she's crazy. the she's the daughter of a mob boss. So it's like she's like Joe Pesci in a wig. Like, am I funny? <laughs> Do I amuse you? Am I like a clown to you? <laughs> it, it's it's unbelievable. Yes, Spider. Yes, Spider. <laughs> no, she's worried about everything except the people should that sent her there to work on her behalf. You ever yeah. And I'll tell you. Thing. I the first time I really encountered her uh, face to face, um, I think was the 90s. And she, I think she had just gotten in and she gave I went to this human rights uh, thing up on the hill and she gave this really great speech about Hong Kong and the Tibetans. And, you know, it's listening. I'm like, well, wow, this woman's going to really be a force in this party. And then you just kind of watch how that system and the city just erodes these people. It strips just piece by piece, it takes away their character. And yeah. ultimately, as Reagan said, the uh, oldest, uh, the second oldest profession in the world becomes a lot like the oldest profession in the world. <laughs> uh, you, can use, you can use that one, Michael. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. That's a good Reagan was great. Reagan had tons of them. That dude, Reagan was hilarious. And Trump is the, is the king. Trump oh, is God. the king. <laughs> Trump was in the room. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which no other president really Reagan Reagan didn't do that. Like Trump will will tell you here, you know, here's here here's what happened, or here's how this. Oh yeah, you know I mean? like you know, uh, 
when when uh, you know uh, Romney came to ask him for money, you know, for his campaign or whatever, you know. Oh I mean, yeah, he'll give you like a whole like uh, <laughs> culture and and uh, environment of that whole situation. And I oh, think yeah, Trump will, he'll, he'll he'll do the characters, he'll do voices, he'll do act outs, he'll do audience participation. He is he is a force of nature. Yeah, not you know, one of my best things that Trump did. It's when he when they when they killed uh what was a guy uh salami whatever his name was and he goes he reads he is dead and he <laughs> died and he kept punctuating i thought <laughs> he is dead and he died like a dog <laughs> yeah he's great he's great my favorite my favorite is when uh uh the the democrats had just taken back the house and we were going to have that, the, the, the government was going to have to shut down because they couldn't agree on a budget. And uh -huh. Nancy Pelosi went off to Hawaii and then oh, she yeah. came back and they're like, and, and Trump's like, all right, we got to figure out the budget. And then Na Nancy and the Democrats are like, well, we got to go to Puerto Rico. We're going for our retreat in Puerto Rico. So Trump's like, okay. Then they come back and Trump's like, so we got to work on this budget. And, and Nancy's like, no, no, we're going to go on a fact finding mission to Europe. We're going to Europe. <laughs> and Trump's like, okay knowing damn well he wasn't going to put her scrawny ass on a government plane. He let him get all the way to the airport. <laughs> that was a classic. That is the funniest stuff ever. His assistant was like, should we tell him? Should we tell him? He's like, no, no. Let him pack their bags. Let him get on the bus. Should we tell him now? No, let him see the plane. <laughs> that He's was hilarious. hilarious. And and what about when he sent the letter to the String Actors Guild and saying, oh, so you want me to leave? So what? <laughs> closing line, it was like, thanks, you've done nothing for me. Yes. <laughs> so what? <laughs> and him and go him going back and forth with Rocket Man, when he oh, just started yeah. calling, when he just started calling Kim Jong-un Rocket Man, and then dude, and then Rocket Man was like, uh, you know, I got a I got a nuclear button, I got a button on my desk. And Trump's like, I got a button too. Mine's bigger, and it works. He's like, you know, he's a, uh, Trump's a huge Elton John fan, and I and, and when that happened, I was like, you know, look, he's really coming up with this stuff. Nobody's doing it. Uh huh. Oh you know, yeah. I mean, like, Rocket Man's probably one of his favorite Elton John songs. Yeah, <laughs> it was hilarious to see him come up with this stuff, and he just puts it out there. I got one that's even bigger, you know, little rocket man, and he's going to do this. Well, I don't think he wants to do that because we will show him something yes, <laughs> and he never. Yes. And, and I look, I'm like, wow, this guy, the human element of it. I mean, and people hated it. They hated that he spoke the truth, but they were yeah. always trying to ridicule him nonstop. Whereas on the left, don't touch them, no matter how many times they make mistakes, how many times Hillary Clinton falls, trips and falls. Biting a slurring of his words. He's coming out saying, oh, this is my wife. This is my sister. It's like, no, it's the other way around. No one says anything. It's like nothing to see here, folks. Yeah, he said it, but nothing to see here. He goes on Anderson Cooper at Town Hall. How does it feel being in the White House? Well, I wake up every day and I say, where are we? And he probably actually meant that, yeah. but no one yeah. is going to touch it. I'm like, come on, you can grab that and take it for miles laughing with it. But it's like they're all afraid to say it's, anything against these guys. It's strange, though. But like as a comedian, and I'm not even and I say this in all sincerity, as a comedian, I kind of feel like I have to pull my punches with Sleepy Joe because he's not Sleepy well. Joe. He's yeah. not well. It, it's like if, if it was uh, your grandfather and and he was acting like that, you'd be worried. And you mm -hmm. and. The only thing I can say is go back and look at what comedians were saying in the late '80s about Reagan, because they they uh, gave no quarter to Reagan on uh, on what was probably a very similar. Beginning. That's very true. That's a great point. On the That's other hand, point. you got to call your shots as far as you know. Honestly, I mean, you know how it is. People show up to be amused and entertained, and if you're in this profession, you can't. In my view, you got to have thick skin and be able to take some right. hit. You know, so. I mean, I just think that's the case. I think you have to. It, well, if you're offended by someone else's words about you, uh, especially if you don't perceive them to be accurate, then, you know, 
it's the wrong, it's the wrong field because the, the challenges are going to be a lot tougher than, and particularly at that level. You know, I mean, if you go back on North Korea and you think about what that meeting, um, if you recall, that Obama had with Trump in the Oval Office, it was like roughly a 90-minute meeting. It was supposed to be 30. He had two things he wanted to talk to him about, basically. Number one was we're on the brink of conflict with North Korea. This is the biggest crisis confronting the country, which he avoided. And then the, I think the other half of it was you, you cannot hire Michael Flynn because he had a real obsession with uh, with Flynn, maybe what he knows, I don't know. I don't think we've ever fully understood precisely what his objections were. They clashed, obviously, on ISIS policy and everything else, but he was, you know, to spend half your meeting with the president-elect saying, don't hire Michael Flynn, is, says something about Michael Flynn. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just thinking out loud, I think that would make a great boxing match to see Trump and Obama in the ring together. I would put my bets on Trump. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll give you I'll give you Trump versus uh uh Obama and Sleepy Joe at the same time. I'll and Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff also I'll pencil that. <laughs> video of him throwing the first ball out. I think it might have been maybe a, oh, yeah. a nationals game. Uh-huh. Did and there's a, there's another one where you know he you know he talked his whole life about what a White Sox fan he was. It's like, yeah, you know, I'm all about the South Side and all this stuff. And he's, so he's in the White, White House uh, broadcast booth, and they're saying, so, big White Sox fan, Mr. President, who, who are your favorite players this, this year? You know, And he's sitting there stumbling. He couldn't name one White Sox. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally hysterical. Um, I had to put it in the chat for those who haven't seen it. Yeah, and you realize this whole this guy's life, this, there's no authenticity here, man. This dude's all, you know. It's all contracted. Right, he's packaged. He can write those books. And I'll tell you one thing, a lot of the presentation of the first 35 years of his life is misrepresented um, mm -hmm. or, or polished in certain ways. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And lot, no one's they all are. Relationship, I mean, lots of theories. And, you know, ultimately, I guess maybe it's not really much of our business, <laughs> but it is our business if you've got to misrepresent it. You know, right. if you're going to say, hey, my mom, my dad left my mom, but really it was my mom who left my, you know, stuff like that. You're, 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 playing politics with your, your life and, in, in ways that I think are, and I think, I think the, pre, his presentation in 2008 was, was an incredibly, um, polished one that was not authentic. Whereas Trump in 16 was authentic. And again, what's the lesson? I guess both approaches work, but I think the American people want authentic today. You know, right. and we got, and but we, we need to demand we need to demand authentic because this it it is give people what you want. If we're out here, leadership wise and um in influencing the political culture in this country, and we say, look, man, well, you got to keep it real. We want you know like no cliches, no escaping answering questions, no dodging tough questions. No escaping interviews, no misrepresenting yourself. We want to know you and we'll respect you when you do that. That is what we'll get. And if we don't do that, if we sit around and we're you know passive about it, we let them polish this presentation and, and tell us one thing and do another, we're going to get more and more of that. And so who does this whole thing come back on? Continue to say it comes back on the grassroots, comes back on the people. What kind of country do you want? You know, and what are you prepared, what are you prepared to put up with? Because they will not stop until you make them stop. Right, and that's what we have here now. I mean, just the other day, you have them putting together a commission on talking about deplatforming, forming Fox News, Newsmax, and One American News, and they were serious about it. And I was watching this, thinking, wait a minute, they actually want to shut down opposing views for their views. It's like yeah. there is some beauty contest. It's like, well, we're the winner. We look the best. So we should be allowed to go out and tell people what's right and wrong and not the other side. Like, this is America. And we're sitting up talking they're about this. To private companies, what networks they do and don't carry is frightening enough. And was, writing letters to them, telling <laughs> them that you should deplatform AT&T and Comcast. 
Mike, is this actually happening before our very eyes? And no one is saying anything about it. It's just, oh, yeah, yeah, they had a meeting. Like, this is damn scary and it's dangerous. Because before long, it starts there and then it starts to spread. That's happening, though. I mean, they are going to exert pressure, try to get those three networks off of major, the Comcast, off of Verizon, off of AT&T, off these major platforms. And these companies are given tons of money and they got a whole broad range of policy issues before the federal government. These Democrat politicians are acutely aware that whether or not they carry these three networks is probably not their foremost corporate agenda item before the government. They've got other big ones, including contracting with the government. Yeah. And there's all these conflicts and there's all this behind the scenes story. And ultimately these are first amendment issues. And I would contend they're 10th amendment issues. You know, what is the role of the federal government? Remember that um, proposed legislation about a decade ago, the enumerated powers act, it was called. I'm a real big fan of this. It would mean every piece of federal legislation starts out with a summary of what in the constitution of the United States of America affords the Congress to take this action at all, right? Because when you think about all the things that they do, so many things are not an enumerated power in the Constitution. They're not something that is delegated to the federal government through either a state or local government issue, or they may not be a government issue at all. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, the one of the, the slippery slopes that we've been down our whole lifetime now. And it's gotten to the point where there's literally no topic that wouldn't warrant a congressional hearing or or legislation of some sort. I mean, and we don't even question the the power afforded Congress to take these steps. So I tell you what, I think I think discussions like this, that ship has sailed. That ship has sailed. It Obama said it years ago. As the ship gets into uh, navigation trouble because it's so far offshore, and this is where we're headed right now, is that these guys constantly. It, it, just, t- here's what. Here's what. Here's what. Great. It's, it's, le- it's, it's all lovely. It's all lovely, and we'll get that. Get to that. Here's my point. Whoever has the most voters gets to do what they want. We need more people on the right. That's what it boils down to. We can get to all this other stuff as we go. But if we don't act fast and really get out there, grassroots, get people, talk to them and get them to start leaning to the right and wake up to the way that this country is slipping through our fingers, we're going to be talking about this hill of beans and that hill of beans. And Joe Biden is going to leave the borders wide open. He's going to make uh, at least 11 million people, probably 30 million people, citizens, and we'll never win another election. Then it's then it's just over. Then it's all just we're complaining about stuff. Stuff we got to get. We got to get boots on the ground. We got to talk to people. We we need more voters. That's whoever gets the most people gets to do what they want. We need we need more more more. And Trump was on the right track. And you mentioned it earlier with like being the party of the working man and being we 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 care we literally and and, and our, our our conservative values haven't changed. I believe in individual rights and I want individuals to do well, but we got to spread that message. And if they take Fox and Newsmax and, and, you know, OAN down and they're going to get people off of Facebook, Twitter, we got to organize yesterday. Newsmax and own and Fox to some extent are more important now than ever. I mean, they have control. and, And you think about the systematic control of these institutions again, like Mr. Potato Head, this is no accident. This is by design. This is, you know, they took academia when few were concerned about it, or they said, that doesn't relate to me. Finally consolidated control of it completely to the point where the most outrageous things happening at these universities you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Moved on, the media, you know, I mean, we talk, I was talking about media bias back in the late 80s. That, that was bias. This is now wholesale positioning that right. you know i assume is an entire like corporate culture you go into it you know what you have to say and then you look at hollywood gone music pretty much gone kid rock lives on you know ted nugent's pretty much over with what else we have um i guess you know um trump trump was helped was making a little bit of progress there for us yeah 
Yeah, how do we how do, how do we how do we get that ground back? How do we push back so that we're you know, relevant? I mean, because they they want they definitely want to shut us down. They kicked us off all these platforms. They could shut us down off Facebook. They could shut us down completely from every, look at what happened to Parler. Yeah. I mean, if they wanted to, they could just say this is it. You and it's over. And clearly there's no one on the left that's going to say anything about it. They could care less. They want our voices to be silent. So we right. go, it's like hey, this, we're living on a precarious world. Right now. You know, we raised this before, but just to reiterate the question, you know, guys, it's like who on our side was accountable for making sure that we did not have technical platform bias to the point where an entire social media network which, by the way, isn't even producing content. They're hosting content. Is taken down. Over what? We fell asleep. We fell asleep when all this was happening. We fell asleep. Right, okay, we're now we're a month out from this election. All right, we had problems with that. We have all these institutions that have fallen under the control, and we're still going to battle every day with the same people, the same institutions, mm -hmm. the same approach. I described it today in an email to. Um, a colleague as um, individuals who are basically documenting the decline of American civilization and, and, and the American nation state. And we look at these people as leaders because they're going around giving speeches on campus about that. They're writing books about that. The books are selling. The, the, they're getting paid a lot to give the lectures. They're getting paid a lot to host TV shows on these, on these topics. But ultimately, if your messaging every day is simply that of documenting the decline and that decline is happening on your watch, you're no leader. And of course, these people are no leaders. They don't consider themselves leaders. They are individual entrepreneurs filling a certain role in the American culture. And we need to wake up to that fact. The leadership were, was really, you know, who was out in, on the grassroots block by block in this 2020 campaign, making sure that the stuff that did happen didn't happen that would have allowed our great 45th president to have had four more years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just uh, to uh, pivot, just a little national committee, as we've talked about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Michael, you ever hear from these guys? Uh, they, they tell us they, they reached, within, and I say reached, they mean they knocked on your door or they called personally 150 million registered voters. And I say, no way. And every year this number grows. Every year I ask around. I'm, I don't think there's a whole lot of people more politically connected with um, voters in this country and particularly Republican voters in this country. And I don't hear anyone who hears from these guys except when they ask for money. Yeah, I, I, I really I, I don't either. I've never had anybody knock on my door. I've never had anybody talk to me, you know, coming off of, a, of an airplane or Every time you go into a grocery store and there's somebody with a petition there, it's I, they, they they smell like patchouli and they want to raise my taxes. <laughs> Andrew, you were about to say. And in comedy clubs now, I mean, what are people responding to? When oh, hold, oh I'll, I'll let you know. But but Andrew, what what'd you have, buddy? Uh, Michael, you can answer first, and I'll circle back to uh, Jen Pisaki style of uh, the question okay. I or the. What I had. <laughs> circle back to it, yeah. Yeah. I'll circle what, back. <laughs> what's what's circle. the what's the comedy clubs like, uh, Michael? When you go and uh, have your brand of conservative comedy, do you get some pushback, or is it uh, generally everyone's pretty nice? I, I here's here's what I do now. I'm I'm working on a, a show right now, so it requires I'm on the East Coast, but I'm also home base is really Los Angeles. But when I'm doing stand up on the East Coast, I just let it rip. Because East Coast people, New York people are tough. And you're just like, here's what I love about Trump. What I do what I do on the left coast, when I'm working in L.A., mm -hmm. I always just start off with, oh, life is weird. That's weird. They, they start liking me. They're laughing at my little jokes and stuff. And then you start getting into the common sense. Tell you what, this is crazy. And then they're all laughing. And then you tell them, and that's why I love Trump. And you can just see them have little <laughs> little strokes because they're like, we don't know what to do. We liked him. We 
surprise <laughs> attack. <laughs> yes, yeah. You get them all buttered up. You get them all buttered up. You got to put a lot of cheeseburger around the medicine, a lot of cheeseburger around the pill before you start throwing it to the puppy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, uh, what I was going to ask is um, Michael and Rob, you guys are both New York guys, and Michael Johns is a Northeast guy himself. What do you guys make of this going on with Andrew Cuomo right now? Um, the nursing home scandal, and now he's getting the sexual assault allegations. It's not looking good for him just well, after receiving his, what, Emmy last year. Uh, complete uh, turn in direction for 2021 so far for this guy. And yet well, he wrote a book. That's incredible. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I kind of thought, just listening to what the, the, the accuser was saying, what he allegedly had done, and what I thought was interesting from hearing all this is that the strip poker, you know, mm-hmm. that he wanted to play. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he wanted to display the nipple ring that everyone's been talking about. Does he have one? Does he not have one? Again, material that comedians could talk about. <laughs> Two of them. <laughs> like, why aren't yeah. they talking about this? It's like, come on. It's like the nipple ring, strip poker. He wants her to see it. He wants her to play with it. I don't know. But that's material for these guys, and they're afraid to touch it because they say he's such a bully. He'll call them up and go, don't you dare talk about my nipple ring. That's between me and my significant other. (laughs) Come on. You pull one, and he blames Trump. You pull the other, (laughs) and he he blames Republicans. It's like a C-and-say, one of those, Donald Trump wouldn't give us help. He was the (laughs) But I'll, well, I'll, I'll defer. I'll defer if you have, have some comments about uh, Cuomo. Well, I'll just say this: I think the guy is a. Uh, I think he's a bully. I think that uh, you know it's coming full circle. It's not as if though we didn't know something was wrong with Cuomo. He goes on CNN. He's laughing with his brother. He's I'm single and ready to mingle. Like you just knew that something was not quite right about the guy, but yet still the media tried to cover it up. But again, I'm going to bring it back to, you know, comedy. Why won't they make fun of this guy? I want Saturday Night Live to make fun of him. I want to laugh about me and his nipple ring. I want to laugh about his big nose that his brother was talking about. I mean, all this stuff, material, that they could be using. Strip poker. And then looking at the Clinton cigar box. Cigar box. It's like there's so much material. Use it. Make me laugh. Don't be afraid. But they're all afraid to use it. They're not afraid, dude. They're not afraid. They don't. What is it? They want to keep them up on a pedestal. They want. They want to maintain this illusion of Cuomo is a hero. Cuomo is a hero who bravely defended us from Donald Trump. And COVID is horrible. But Cuomo tried his best. And sure, he's got some nipple rings. But our, we're not going to judge. They, they want to maintain that hero status when he was like his policies were literally killing thousands of people. We've right. on 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 the East Coast. We've known about this for months and months and months. And it's mm-hmm. and for them to go for them to get mad at Ted Cruz to try to gin up something. Oh, Ted Cruz went to Cancun. I give zero shits. I give uh-huh. zero shits. Cuomo was actively killing people. Right. Absolutely. Michael Johns, what do you say? Well, I mean, Cuomo's um, in, in political trouble right now. I think, you know, his appeal was were those daytime press conferences that were resonating for some reason, even though the statistics didn't. And so on the policy basis, clearly problematic. And I think on the sexual harassment allegation, all we're asking for is that these cases be handled seriously, objectively, and by a single standard. And they're not. I mean, look at the, you know, the Biden allegation that was, you know, out there. And uh, the the woman making the allegation from the Senate had to literally go into 60 minutes in Australia because the, um, uh, you know, the 60 minutes U.S. wouldn't carry it. And yet you look at if an allegation like this were being made against a Republican governor right now, there would be no other topic until it was a resignation or complete you know, serious investigation and, and you just get the sense that no, that it's going to get some attention and not receive the level of seriousness that it requires. And, um, it's problematic, you Uh know, 
and for women who do experience that or men who experience it, since I guess that happens too, it's, you know, you've, uh, um, you report these things in a timely fashion, as difficult as that might be, because it comes more difficult. And that's the case here is that um, I think she wrote an article for Medium, I believe. I haven't read it yet. But um, apparently documenting all this when she thought Cuomo was going to be appointed AG by Biden. Um, but these issues shouldn't matter based on the um, aspirations or ambitions of the, of the individual involved. They should just matter. I mean, there's, you know, just inappropriate workplace behavior. I mean, can we just agree on that? I think that's. Yeah. Oh, it's it's horrible. It's horrible. And you've got to look oh, into the allegations. They're they're completely. Listen, you got to look into them. You got to investigate them. But they're going to protect. They're going to protect Cuomo because they still got plans for him. Just like they protected Teddy Teddy Kennedy when when he left that girl to die in his car. Oh, we got to protect Teddy. He might still and he had a great career after that. He was the lion of the Senate. He was a hero. Yep. They they they, they got to protect just the same way they're protecting uh, uh, little Gavin Newsom. That little preppy twerk yep. from California. We call gaining momentum in California. <laughs> my message to uh, anyone of, of uh, centrist or center-right political perspectives, don't give up on California yet. Uh, we may ultimately have to if we don't reverse course. But at this point, I'm telling you, there is still sensibility out there. And it's a big, big state. And it's a big part of this country's economy. And we can't just sort of throw our hands up in the air about it. And this recall effort could be a real wake-up if we're able to... Um, pull it off and I see momentum yeah. for it. I really, I really look, the job is, is about delivering for the people and keeping your word and working hard and doing it selflessly and not taking advantage of your positional authority. Is this too much to ask our elected officials? I mean, that's what the American people want. I think, you know, they're pretty forgiving on a lot of things, but what we see are people that are taking advantage and, 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 D.C. has got to be the worst of it all. It's just every single step and everything it's done is with political designs in mind. And meanwhile, the forgotten man and woman who Trump gave voice to is, is hurting bad. And the policies that put him in this position are now being re-implemented with even greater degrees of um, urgency and um, seriousness by a Democrat elite that does, that really, it, it's tough to look at it and, and not think they want ill. Uh, this, this transformation is, um, you know, what did Lenin say in the Bolshevik Revolution that, you know, to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. I think that's mm -hmm. kind of mindset that's driving a lot of this structure is that this globalist reset, which I think we all sort of accept is underway right now, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's not a, a decent. I, I mean, I I, um, I would like to see more institutional commentary about it, but it's underway, and it's a and it's a big big agenda because every country has got its role. Right. Um, you know, China will be the center of the universe, and one of our major roles in the reset is to to take in uh, the developing world's refugee population, not 11 or 30 million, like you mentioned, but maybe twice those numbers. You know, right. that's kind of the role that they see us playing is we're going to be the buffer for these people, poverty that inevitably they're going to create in these areas. And you're already seeing it, what China's done in Latin America with all these, um, th these politicized loan programs that have been designed to extend their leverage in Latin America. These guys can't meet their debt payments. They're defaulting on them. And, uh, you know, the economic pressure is being exacerbated on Latin America because the Chinese Communist Party is the most malicious political force in the world today and perhaps in our lifetime. I mean, it's, a, it's you know, if you go post-Stalin um, in the Soviet Union, it's definitely right there. Right. Well, here's, here's what's going on with, like, just my look at things. And, and if I was, if I had a bigger microphone, I do a live stream on Facebook every Wednesday at the Loftus party page. And it really, this is the second stimulus bill. And if you think how horrifying, this is how out of touch these elites are. 
So they tell us COVID-19 is right outside your door. It's going to kill you. It's going to kill you dead. You got to wear a mask. You can't go to work. So they know you can't go to work. They're not going to allow you to work and they're not going to give you help. And their inability, especially the Democrats, because they're, they control Congress. They're writing the checkbook. They cannot, they can't even come through on the two grand, those lying pieces of garbage. They couldn't even come through on the two grand. We're not talking about two grand every month. We're talking about two grand for the last eight months. They do not care if people go homeless. They do not care if you can't buy food. They can't, they do not care if you die in this, the, the biggest crisis they've said we've had, they can't have a clean bill. They got to They got to fund the Met. They got to fund a tunnel going to, to San Francisco. They got to fund, they got to do. It's not, even, it's, not even open. it's not even open and they're giving it relief funds. Ponder that. And, and not only that, they've also got to fund Pakistanians gender study. Not as if yeah. you know, the Pakistanians even care. It was like, again, identity politics. They want to know if it's a girl or a female. Okay, well, pull your pants down. If you see something swinging, you're a male. If you don't see it swinging, you're a female. There you go. $10 for the gender study. Doesn't do go much further than that. But you're right. They just don't care. It's all about identity politics. It's by design. But they want the people to think that they care, but they don't. Gentlemen, this has been a great show. I've enjoyed it. I can't believe that we're already an hour into the show. I want to thank you both. Michael Jobs and Michael Loftus for joining us. Definitely want, uh, if you want, there Michael is, the Loftus Party on Facebook and YouTube. You got to check him out because he is a lot of laughs. And when we're going through what we're going through right now, it's not just about politics, but you got to laugh. It's okay to laugh. And to my fellow liberal comedians that are out there, please make fun. Have some fun out there. Don't be afraid. We'll laugh, you know. Like, yeah, they'll try to counsel you, but we got your back. We've got your back. Andrew, Chappelle. you have anything you want to say? Chappelle will come through. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, just a big weekend this weekend. I see the special of Chappelle's is one of the most hysterical people <laughs> yeah. ever made. Yeah, I was a big fan of the Chappelle show myself. Baby. <laughs> Talk about the kid on the street corner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, big weekend this weekend with CPAC. President Trump is speaking on Sunday. Um, Michael Johns, um, what do you think, as a former uh, presidential speechwriter for yourself, briefly, what would you uh, say that President Trump should hit on in this uh, speech at CPAC? I'll be on One American News Network tomorrow. I'm going to be talking about exactly that topic. The, the essence of my message is going to be that uh, – Trump needs to basically reiterate that we cannot have 20, 20th century solutions for 21st century problems and that the challenges that the Make America Great Again agenda are tackling, particularly that China, immigration and trade are a centerpiece of the Republican Party that needs to be here to stay. I think he needs to walk through uh, with some degree of detail, not exhaustively, but some degree of detail where he stands on the election fraud and how we should be feeling and what we should be doing about it. Because we shouldn't be um, engaged in violent attacks on the Capitol. On the other hand, I don't think we should be turning the page either. And then I think he's got to remind the American people about the fact that before the Wuhan virus hit this country, uh, by every metric, job creation, wages, um, standing in the world, resolution on tr some trade matters, real broad range of successes. Get three incredibly successful uh, years as president, three of the most successful years as president that we've had in our lifetimes. Remind the American people of that. And then I'm not exactly sure what his ambitions are. I think he's he's got to basically say, look, I'm, I'm all chips in on uh, 2022. He's already made an endorsement today on the Iowa Republican Party, so I sense that's where it's going. Uh, maybe he's got an outlet for this, he raised a lot of money for these legal funds that haven't been used yet. I think there should be some organizational structure designed to create and resolve some of these things. And then he's got he's got to take it to the he's got to take it to the left, and he's got to you know give CPAC attendees action items because what happens is uh, i've spoken at cpac uh, myself several times and i've attended a dozen or more times 
And when you when you walk out of there, these people are all jazzed up uh, after three or four days of hearing from you know top political conservative forces and and in personalities in the country. But they're not exactly sure what to do with all their energy, you know. And there's all these kids; they bust them in, college students, whatnot, and they walk out. This needs, you know, there needs to be a "Here's what we want you to go do" message attached to uh, what he says. I'm really ecstatic that he's speaking. I'm ecstatic that CPAC has invited him because, if you remember 2016, uh, and I clearly do. Uh, there was tension there, and and you were threatening to walk out. Remember, this was after the Access Hollywood thing, and he ultimately uh, didn't speak. And that was an important opportunity for him to resolve some of the conservative uh, concerns. So I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it's important. And I think this agenda is here to stay. I think Trump's going to be a force. Not sure about 2024, but I'm hopeful that you know he'll return. And I think what he has to say is going to be taken really seriously. I hope he's putting a lot of thought into this, you know, because it's people are going to be glued and they're going to be they're going to act on what he has to say. And if he says things matter, they're going to consider them to be important. If they aren't mentioned, they may not be uh, acted upon. That's my Michael sense. Loftus. Michael Loftus. I wish I was going. I, I wish I was going to CPAC, and I just come uh, back to. They would love you at CPAC. You, they, <laughs> we need more people. People need to support creators on the right. There's people out there. There's uh, a lot of conservatives in in the hip hop movement. Play their singles. Support one called Circle Back. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree. We've got to support each other. We've definitely got to support each other. There are a lot of people that are out there in the hip hop community that are doing it, but if we don't support each other, we don't stay together to make this movement grow. And I think that was one of the things, uh, Michael Loftus, you were saying on your show last night about supporting each other. And I think that was a powerful message because we definitely got to do that. Yeah, uh, you know, there's if there's if there's conservative content creators, sure, like me, like you, on YouTube, subscribe to their channel, watch their stuff, share their stuff. We have to be on multiple platforms, but we got to be going. That's I found it very interesting. They didn't want people going to bars and restaurants uh, during COVID, even though they weren't like super spreader things, because that's where the revolution started, man. That's where when those guys were the founding fathers were getting together, they were going to pubs, they were going to taverns and they were exchanging ideas. The country's jacked up. We're yeah. on the wrong path, big time. And the, the establishment GOP is asleep at the switch. And the Democrats are just adding more voters by the boatload. And they're coming by the border even as we speak. So we need to, we need to circle the wagons and wake people up to Joe Biden's not building any factories. No. You can't get in line to work at a solar panel factory. There aren't, there aren't any. He's lying. He's not going to do shit for anybody. Trump got it done. Populism. America first. Amen, brother. Well, on that note, we will end our show tonight. Thank you all for joining us. Really appreciate it. And again, we've got to support each other. We're on again live uh, Sunday at 10 p.m., Please join us for another episode of After Dark with Rob and Andrew. Thank you. God bless. We are all Americans. Be safe. Peace out.